0: Hello and welcome, Serie A fans, to another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. My name is Daniele Prok, and I'm joined today, as usual, by analyst Steve Coleman. What's up, Steve? Morning, how are you going? I'm pretty good, thanks. And also, I'm joined by analyst Tom Pierce from our London bureau. Hello, Tom.
1: Hey, how are you doing, guys?
0: Pretty good. And uh, finally, I have the pleasure to welcome on today's show... Alex Comzia, center back for professional football club, North Carolina FC in Raleigh and La Liga podcast contributor. Thank you for speaking with us, Alex.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on, Daniele. Appreciate it. Our
0: Italian menu today features tactical analysis from uh, this past weekend's uh, matches, as well as some cool to know facts about Serie A teams and players. And finally, a preview of four upcoming matches including this Wednesday, Coppa Italia final between Napoli and Juventus. But uh, let's take a step back and look at what happened in the semifinal of the Coppa Italia, beginning with Friday's game between uh, Juventus and AC Milan. So for those who didn't get a chance to watch the game, Milan began the game uh, knowing they had to score a goal, at least to qualify, but they clearly took a defensive approach. They were missing key players like Ibrahimovic and Hernandez. So what they did, they kept the team compact, uh, keeping close distance between their lines to avoid people, uh, players of quality like DiBala, to exploit that space, the pocket in front of, of the center backs. Juventus in turn began uh, the game pressing high, not letting Donnarumma take uh, short goal kicks. Basically, the highlight of the game can be summarized in those uh, seven crazy seconds around (laughs) minute 16. So first, VAR awarded a PK to Juventus due to a handball by Andrea Conti. Something rare happened. Ronaldo missed the PK. Actually, Donnarumma got his finger on the ball, pushed it off the post, and then the AC Milan defense was able to clear it. And it was on that clearance that uh, two players contested the ball. It was a Juventus centre-back Bonucci and uh, Milan striker Ante Rebic. I think that Rebic just lost his mind. He landed a lunging kick on uh, Bonucci's chest. And it, yeah, was... That was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> it was on a straight red card. High kick. I don't know what he was thinking. And I got to tell you, uh, that awkward foul took me back to the 2010 World Cup final when uh, Nigel De Jong Sunk a flying kick on Xavi oh, yeah. Alonso's oh, ribs.
2: Smart. Reckless.
0: Do you guys have like a similar deja vu moment?
2: Wait, I have. Didn't Zlatan do that to Matarazzi? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Zlatan, Zlatan did and, uh, it to Matarazzi. Oh, he didn't jump, it. For him, did he? He just one foot right, right, right. In the, And I think it was like 2010, 2011 season. And I loved it because I'm half French, so I hate Matarazzi. So <laughs> it, was, it was a highlight of. Uh, of for that some
0: time. reason, I love him uh but uh it's
3: it's it's amazing in that little section of play there that we're not even talking about the var decision we're, we're more interested in the tackle that's how that's right. how bad the tackle was
2: yeah
0: even if the ref did not see it like vr is gonna go is gonna go back to it and just review it and show a straight red card so i don't know what what he was thinking alex as a as a player what and uh, uh what would you think what would you say to a teammate if if someone did something like that oh, to, to Rebic? yeah
2: look it's just it's just lazy you know you can see it, you can see his where his eyes are he's looking at the ball he saw he's so ball oriented and then he raises his foot up he extends his foot it's a lazy play it's it's too late by the time he sees the player there his studs are up you know maybe he leaves it up there on purpose i'll leave that up to interpretation but it, it it's pretty dumb. I mean, I'd, I'd be really mad at, at him. I would, I would tell him off in the locker room after. But uh, you know, the response was great by Milan.
0: True, because um, AC Milan, uh, they did struggle offensively, missing a man, uh, playing away. They had to put Bonaventura on top. And they, had, they clearly struggled with uh, uh, bringing the team up past uh, their own midfield because they didn't have any outlets. So for the entire second half, the music didn't really change. Uh, at some point, Juventus refused to keep pressing hard on the gas pedal, maybe because they they just wanted to drag the game to the 90th minute for that 0-0 draw that eventually did qualify them. Uh, but one of the biggest takeaways from me was that uh, AC Milan showed really to be solid defensively, that great defensive organization. I like the work of uh, uh, captain and center back Romagnoli as well as his partner Kier. They kept the team together, and uh, here's what I I wanted to ask you, Alex. What is the extra work that you need to do as a center back when uh, you're one man down?
2: I mean, look, like you said, it it changes the game completely, and I thought Chied and Romagnoli were were excellent leaders. Um, What ends up happening when you go a man down is, you know, naturally you take out a forward, an attacking player. So what ends up happening is their defensive midfielder and their center backs have a lot more time on the ball to take space and then engage. So as a, as a block of 10, you're thinking about reducing the space behind, make them play out wide, make turn it into a crossing game. And I thought they did that expertly well. So the communication has to be you know, even, even better when you're at, when you're at 10. Um, the space between lies has to be condensed. The way you shift horizontally Has to be very good. You know, you don't want overloads on the wide spots, although you will naturally have those. And you just got to man up, mark up. You know, it becomes less of a man marking situation for individual players. And it becomes, look, I need to take care of the player in my space and my space only. And I need to, my head needs to be on a swivel all the time. I need to be able to listen with no fans. It's amazing. They can really Mm -hmm. hear each other. Like, look, there's a guy moving into your right guy moving behind your left. So, look, I thought it was, it was an expert masterclass uh, from, from them. You know, it, it is unfortunate that, you know, Juve didn't really need that goal. So they weren't pressing as much for a goal as maybe some other games and situations. So, you know, I don't want to take anything away from them either. So,
0: Yeah, despite being one man up, I didn't really see many 2v1s um, on the sides by Juventus. Right. Right. I think the AC Milan was great at uh at doubling up. Um
2: and I thought he, they dealt with Ronaldo very well. I remember one specific play Romagnoli had a Nesta-like tackle on Cristiano, just perfect slide and look, that's a big confidence booster. Massive confidence booster, so and after that they they dealt with Cross as well. I think Kier had a a good chance too on a, on a on a I think it was a corner kick to get a, to get a goal in. So yeah. You know, about that tackle. Uh,
0: he made Ronaldo kind of look slow. Huh? I remember that. <laughs> a l- little bit,
2: a little bit. Yeah, the animal, the beast will be back next time. He's coming for revenge against Napoli. That's my opinion.
0: Yeah, and uh, Steve, so I remember us talking about how Dybala um, was going to be key uh, in exploiting the spaces in front of the, of the center backs in the pocket. What do you think went wrong for, uh, for him this game?
3: I don't think anything necessarily went went particularly badly. It just it just wasn't a great game of football. I think there's no there's no point sugarcoating it. The the sending off was, well, basically the end point of the of the attacking side of things for from Milan. They did sit deep to begin with, but you know when you when you're down to ten and you and you need a goal to to win the game, you're relying on set pieces and counter attacks to try and make the most of your chances. But what you can't do is is get further and further behind in the game. So I think. The sending off suited AC, uh, uh, sorry uh, Juventus. Um, in terms of, they didn't really have to come and come and try and get anything from the game. So it's very passive from from them, I thought. And you know, I have to say, I I wasn't overly interested in watching after the after the sending off. I thought it was a, a pretty dull dull encounter and and a typical game. First up, it it was like a preseason friendly from my perspective.
0: Yeah, Similand only had um, one uh, real chance, I would say, at the beginning of the second half. Yeah. When Bonaventura yeah. crossed the ball for Chalanoglu, the header mm-hmm. went, uh, went just off for a, yeah. like, just a little bit. But besides that, they struggled. Even when the Leao came in, he, he's a real striker, mm-hmm. but you can tell that he was tired of running around right away because yeah, he was just being yeah. uh, marked closely by by the center backs, they had like two v one or three v one on him sometimes, um, but overall, I do think that it was still too little from Juventus. What do you guys think?
2: Well, well I didn't was working, um, they didn't need sorry, to win
3: game. Sorry. No, they didn't. They didn't need to win the game, did they? So it played into their hands. You know, it was uh, it was almost like a training run for for the final Wednesday night.
0: True, but uh, sometimes the best way uh, to lose the game is not to try to win it. So. Uh, I expected more from them. Yes, it's been three months. Yes, you have to find the chemistry back. But I don't know uh, when they went one man one man up. I said, "Wow, AC Milan is going to get dominated now," and that really didn't happen. What do you think, Tom?
1: Well, I was looking a bit at the the stats afterwards, and it was interesting to see that Ronaldo had nine shots, but none of them were of real value. As you say, Benucci kind of um, kind of dealt with him well in that game. Uh, not Benucci. Whoever the defender was, sorry. Um, but yeah, I think he Ronaldo had nine shots and Dybala had six shots, but yeah, they didn't really create anything of true value, to be fair.
0: Yeah, even yeah, the possession yeah. by, uh, by Juventus was something like 62%, but I do agree that uh, it didn't seem like that. Uh, let's uh, transition now to the other game. Uh, Napoli-Inter uh, it finished with a 1-1 uh, tie. And that qualified Napoli. Uh, so, Steve, uh, why don't you uh, dive deeper into this this game?
3: Yeah, thanks. I, th- I thought this one was really interesting. Um, it was a, certainly a lot more um, progressive than the than the first game on the, on the Friday. But um, I think the biggest surprise, first up, was obviously Napoli leaving uh, Rui out of the side. He's um, obviously been quite influential for for them in, in that left hand side. So that was a bit of a surprise. But um, we spoke. Last week, about Inter trying to win the game with their their use of their win backs and trying to get them hard at the pitch, and I think in the first half we did see them be a lot more progressive with those win backs. Um, certainly, Ashley Young on the left hand side was a lot more um, dangerous from from wide areas, delivering balls into the box. Um, so, th- so that created one one aspect of the of the game in terms of Inter's, Inter's um, threats. They certainly pressed hard at the pitch. Uh, their their passes per defensive action was down at six. With a 39% p- uh, pressing efficiency, which was which was really good to see them ch- trying to have a proper go, um, and also from midfield as well, they're, they're pressing from midfield was a, was a lot more constructive. Um, so, I think the the goal the goal itself was was a pretty average one to concede. O- ospina has got to do a little, little bit better from the corner, um, but he was brilliant for the rest of the game. I thought Ospina. he, he certainly kept Napoli in it for, for for large parts of the game and um I, the goal, the goal that napoli scored was was his his you know uh, catch and catching clearance to to put them in behind and and for them to score on the counter was a was a fantastic uh, and ruthless effort really and i think Inter probably would be disappointed not to win the game i think they created lots of chances um and they did enough to disrupt napoli and um you know, Napoli's u- usual possession stats weren't quite as high. The midfield three only had 75, 72 passes between them in the entire game, which tells you how much they disrupted them in midfield. So, Napoli spent a whole lot of time going around the pressure rather than through it, which is unusual for them. So, um, yeah, fascinating game. Napoli, Napoli, good good for the result, but um, Inter will be disappointed not to, not to get something for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think that Napoli uh, definitely had a, a more proactive approach if we want to compare it to Juventus, at least that's what I think. Mm. And back to your point about Ospina, for me, he was man of the match. Yes, he did mess up on that Ericsson goal slash uh, Elmas mm. on goal, but, mm. uh, but he then made an incredible save on Candreva. He picked yeah. up the ball on that on the, the very same corner and then he uh, sent Insigne on the counter-attack, which yeah. then led to Insigne assisting Mertens and then uh, scoring the one-to-one uh,
2: that uh, eventually qualified uh, Napoli. Hmm. It was a de- defensive nightmare there.
0: <laughs>
2: Why? I forgot which which player was it. Was it uh, Brozovic? Who was who is, who is there who turned his back the wrong way and the ball bounced and it went straight to Insigne straight off the off the kick of Ospina. I forgot yeah. which player. Do you remember?
0: I remember Eriksen chasing down uh, down Insigne. I don't know how they ended up being... He was just so
2: unorganized and, uh, you know... Look, I don't want to take anything away from that play, but it, sh- it shouldn't happen. The ball shouldn't bounce and skip and then go to Insignia like that, like wide open. So, it was, it's, some, you know, it's something th- they must have picked up on no, though because it happened two or three times. Right. Where, yeah, it was, it was from, poor from, from footwork. Or, yeah. Poor footwork, poor covering. You need more numbers. So they'll be disappointed, like you said, Steve.
0: Uh, let, me, let me give some credit to Insignia because his first and second touch forward were just amazing. Yeah, Then... Put his body in front of uh, Ericsson, who was chasing him. Now, Ericsson couldn't touch him because I seen he was in the box. So what, what it, And then what he did is just set up really like a chocolate pass for Mertens, who arrived uh, full speed and with a smile, he just pushed the ball in for, uh, for, the, for the equalizer.
3: And to equal the record, isn't he? Goal scoring, goal scoring record, is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. He surpassed Amsic and uh, Maradona, right? Yeah. Yeah, wow. What a wow. legend.
2: <laughs> he is a legend.
0: Um, what do you guys think because we we broke down uh, the per, the performances of Kandreva during this uh the one of the f- previous episodes what, how do you guys think that Kandreva uh, did during the during the past game
3: I think he's so much better when it, when they are to get on the front foot and he can defend hard at the pitch gets him it gets him in better positions when they, when they have the ball um yeah, I thought he was he was bright. Mate had a good chance. Ospina uh, made a great save from a, from when he cut inside the box and and Ospina uh, tipped it over the bar. So it certainly plays into his hands when Conte wants to get them hard at the pitch, pressing and and uh, yeah, gives them that go forward on, on the other side to
0: young for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's transition to our section called uh, Cool to Know. So we're basically going to give you guys some uh, fun facts about uh, Serie A. And uh, we're actually going to stay in uh, in Napoli because Tom has some uh, incredible stats about fullback Mario Rui. Go
1: ahead, Tom. Yeah, well, this week my uh, tactical analysis piece, which will be out by the time this podcast is out, is looking at the underrated fullbacks in Serie A. So uh, the, the six metrics I listed, which are important for fullbacks, he came top 10 in five of them, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. Um, just a few of his figures here. He got, he has um, 15 progressive passes per 90, which uh, kind of blows any other fullback out of the water in Serie A. And then he has a 64.84% defensive dual success rate, which is up there with the, some of the highest in the league as well. So he's defensively solid as well. And he also has... 0.15 expected assist per 90. So he has that final third threat as well. So in all, in all bases of the game, he's been excellent for Napoli this season, even though they have been fairly underwhelming.
0: You know what? Even if you bring up all the stats, I struggle to believe that he is that good because first off, it just doesn't seem like. And secondly, uh, Ancelotti and uh, uh, Gattuso never really consistently start him. Actually, Gattuso, sometimes he puts uh, his eye, who's a right-footed fullback, on the left side instead of playing Maderouille, right? He's
1: got something over 1,100 minutes this season, hasn't he? But it seems like whenever he's on the pitch, he provides some sort of value to the team.
0: Yeah, wow. What you got for us, Steve, for uh, cool-to-know things?
3: Yeah, it's um, mine's mine's about the the relegation um, situation. Obviously, people focus heavily on the top and who's going to get those European spots. But people probably won't know that there's there's eight candidates for three spots in the in the relegation battle right now. So there's two that are already likely to go down. So Brescia and Spa are, are, are pretty much down um, uh, in the bottom two. But only five points separate Lecce in 18th and Fiorentina in 13th. So there's there's a big gap. Or a big, big number of teams that will be looking over their shoulder. So, um, I guess one of the coolest stats are not from their perspective, but um, mm-hmm. when you take out set pieces, Spal have only scored twelve goals from open play this year. Um, so it's a, that's a ridiculous stat when you consider twenty six games uh, have been played so far. So there's a reason why they're down the bottom. But anybody from t- Torino downwards should be should be pretty concerned with with what they've what they've got to come. So. Uh, Torino have lost four on the bounce, for example, got themselves dragged into the relegation battle, but um, their poor form could be a big factor in them them potentially going down. So, yeah, anybody out there who's who's a bit bored of watching Juventus win uh, most of the time, they should probably take a look further down the table and um, there's definitely some interesting games coming up that that are going to take a big uh, impact on that relegation battle.
0: Do you actually think that Torino has a chance... um is really risking relegating because I'm looking at the roster and wow, if they relegate, that's a huge disappointment.
3: Yeah, it's mad, but I think they they're almost sleepwalking themselves into uh, into into the battle. Um, you know, the the four on the bounce that they've they've got beaten, I, I think, is a is a real issue for them. Uh, the other one that might be in there is. Udinese, um, they've got to play five of the top six sides in their last games, as well as as well as the five teams around them. So, so they could have a real big impact, um, and could be another slippery slope for them for sure. But most of the teams down there are underperforming on the on the stats, certainly defensively. Um, and uh, it's yeah, it's going to be a, a pretty interesting race to the bottom for sure over the next ten games or so.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'm sure that this uh, bottom-of-the-table teams, they are the ones that will give the hardest times to the top-of-the-table teams as the season approaches uh, the end, mm-hmm. just because the motivation of uh, fighting to just stay in the league is uh, is so high. Can you, can you speak about that, Alex, when you're in the locker room and uh, how big of a change does it make when you have... To fight for a goal because maybe you are about to relegate versus when you are in a, in the safe zone and you really you just kind of play uh, more right. carefree.
2: Right, you got to align the incentives, and when there's when you're a mid table team, there's there's not that much to play for as a player. Look, we are taught to treat every game like it's the same, right? but we're emotional creatures, you know, we're aware of, of rewards, you know, you can't definitely can't ignore that. So if you're, you know, challenging for the title, or even even more intense, sometimes trying to get out of the relegation zone, it it's there's a lot of pressure there that is not there. And everyone knows that when you're in a, I don't know, a mid a mid pack, table uh scenario so as a player the pressure from the fans the pressure from the staff the front office your own job is on the line you know especially if you're in the relegation zone so those are those are teams you cannot take lightly because they're fighting for their lives
0: absolutely um all right let me give you guys my cool to know thing so i recently wrote a piece about rodrigo palacio and uh, Goran pandev um, that came out in the June issue of the Total Football Analysis magazine. I talked about how these guys are still killing it in the league despite being season strikers, right? The Palace is 38, Pandev is soon to be 37. So they are two of the five oldest strikers in Serie A, along with uh, Ibrahimovic, Quagliarella, and uh, Cyril terro But here's my cool to know thing Pandev scores a goal every 3.1 shots. So far, he has taken 22 shots in the league and has scored seven goals for Genoa. To give you some context, Cristiano needs twice the amount of shots of Pandev to score a goal for Juventus, and uh, which means that he scores every 6.2
2: shots for uh, the Bianconeri. What do, guys,
0: me. what do you guys think <laughs> so, about
2: it? So what you're saying, essentially, is that Pandev is better than Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: sure. Uh, there is obviously context we need to give context to the stats like Ronaldo shoots a lot from outside of the box Pandev mainly takes shots from within the the 18-yard box and Ronaldo has taken something like 130 shots in the league by far his first in this category
1: he takes like six shots a
0: game doesn't he (laughs) yeah something like six (laughs) shots per game which is insane he just receives turns, and just fires um, but it, have, it, it's an
3: interesting stat. It's an interesting stat, and going to going to play a big factor in the relegation battle to link it back to the to to that for sure. But Genoa don't get enough touches inside the box. I think off the top of my head, they're about thirteen touches inside the box. So if Pandev's having the large chunk of them, then then they're, they'll be okay. But yeah, they, they need to do more to get him the ball for sure. Um, it'll have a big impact on them, and and then potentially staying up because they're right in the mix down the bottom there.
0: Yeah, it's, to me it's insane that you score every three shots. Like You are being very cynical. Um, okay, let's uh, move on to the preview, games preview. So we are going to quickly talk about Juve-Napoli coming up this Wednesday, Coppa Italia final. The lineup should be the same. Um, Juventus and Napoli are going to have uh, mirroring formations. Both are going to play with a 4-3-3. And they also have, they both have the highest numbers for possession in the league. If I were to point out the biggest changes, so we're going to have Meret playing goal instead of Ospina, who is a suspended. And Tom, we're going to have your guy, Mario Rui, very likely starting on the left. <laughs> That's
1: good. Maybe we'll make an impact now that we've spoken about
0: him. <laughs> yeah, Steve, uh, what, uh, what should we expect from, uh, from this game?
3: Hopefully, a bit more than the first semi-final on Friday night. Um, two progressive teams wanting to wanting to have the ball. Two high pressing teams. Uh, if they both go after the ball uh, like they did in the, in their games over the weekend, um, a good tactical battle with some high quality players looking to make make a difference and and be the be the uh, the the main man in the final. So. Yeah, I, I'd like to think Napoli in a one-off game could could upset the the apple cart and and nick the win.
0: Let me tell you, these two teams they hate each other a lot. Um, not just because in what was it three years ago they they really fought for the for the title, but also because you've had people like uh, Higuain, Sarri, who went from uh, Napoli to Juventus. Maybe not directly, uh, like because Sarri first went to Chelsea, but. Uh, Napoli fans are pretty uh, fired up about it. They don't like when uh, things like that happen. Obviously, they won't be able to attend the game, but it will certainly be uh, an exciting one. Um, another exciting game is uh, going to be Sampdoria versus Inter. And um, precisely, Steve, uh, what uh, what should we expect from uh, from this matchup?
3: Yeah, this is this is one that's. Um... For Samp is a is a big one in, in terms of the relegation, the battle, and getting themselves off to a good start. They're um, they're really interesting side. They lose they lose over half their possessions in the opponent third of the pitch. Um, they're one of the better teams in progressing the balls forward from from their own third and into the middle third. So um, their losses per per game is is higher compared to the rest of the league. But uh, they lose about forty nine uh 49 balls in the final third. So it'll be interesting to see how into counter that, whether again they're going to come and press higher up the pitch or whether they're going to drop off. But their ability, Sam, to move the ball uh, to the final third is going to be is going to be key in, in that battle there. Um the other really interesting thing about about them is they've only scored six goals in the first half of game so far this year um against a an XG of twelve point six. So, that's meant they've had to play catch-up a lot of the time. Uh, So, if Inter do get on the front foot and and nick a goal early, then don't expect uh, Sam to sit sit down and and, um, and just just concede concede that uh, defeat. But uh, they score a lot of goals in the second half, obviously, but they're very slow starters. so, the other thing that's going to be an impact is, is into getting the ball wide and delivering balls into the box. Um, Sam have got a real issue defending balls from wide areas because of the narrowness of their defensive block. So, um, expect Conte to push the full-backs or the win-backs higher at the pitch and, and delivering balls into Lukaku, into that into that central area. So, yeah, interesting battle. Uh, will Sam sit deep and try, and try and steal a point against one of the top teams? Will they try and get on the front foot early? uh we'll we'll enter uh press hard at the pitch and and stop Samp trying to build out from the back it'll be it'll be an interesting one but yeah hopefully uh, a positive result for for Samp and um and get their get their um their new season if you like or off to a, off to a good start
0: are we going to see Lautaro and Lukaku together again or do you think that Alexis will get some significant minutes because I think he did well when he came in against. guess yeah
3: Nappo. I agree I agree I think he I think he he did okay um, yeah Conte has already spoken about you know mixing the teams around and, and if they did make the final obviously on Wednesday it was going to be a real issue for them kind of numbers wise with the, with the games that they have to catch up on so I think you might find that that Sanchez starts the game with Lukaku um, with with Martinez off the bench
0: uh, before uh, we move to um, previewing Lecce against Milan, Steve, give me a quick prediction of the score between Samp and Napoli and the Inter. Sorry, uh,
3: I'd like to see Samp win it uh, for my for my own personal uh, gains, but uh, I think it's a draw. I think it's uh, I think it's a one-all draw.
0: Fair, Tom, all yours.
1: Yeah, so. Lecce at home versus AC Milan. I think the only noticeable uh, injury might be Ibrahimovic. I'm not sure if he's ready. He wants to play, but I'm not sure if he'll actually play. If he does, it'll be off the bench. Uh, the last match back in October was just after Pioli came in, a few weeks after he came in, and it was a two-all affair. Uh, Chandan Logu was the man of the match there. Uh, Goal and assist in that game. Watched over the highlights today, and yeah, he just taking sh- shots from everywhere like he does and creating a lot of chances. Um, but I thought one player to note would be uh, Saponara. so he came in in January and made a you know a decent impact since coming in uh, his ex-player three, yeah player. yeah yeah so um, he has a one goal three assists in three appearances for them you know which is impressive for a side who are 18th in the league and struggled to attack but um, yeah it looks like Lecce are just going to try and attack down the wings abuse the uh, full-backs of AC Milan depends who AC Milan pick at right back, especially, you know, Conte or Calabria. Um, but if I had to predict, I'd say that AC Milan would win this one. You know, they've had a full 90 minutes of competitive football and Lecce haven't, so they've got that under their belt. Uh, but I just think AC Milan will be too solid defensively for them. Uh, maybe a 1 0, 2 0 here.
0: So, uh, who should we expect to see on top if Ibrahimovic will start on the bench?
1: We imagine it if they're going to go for that four four two, it would be Leo maybe or Castillejo up front as well. Uh, Rebic, it won't his red card won't matter, will it? That's Coppa Italia, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, probably uh, Rebic might start then. Yeah, if uh, if he gets forgiven for <laughs> for what he <it> did.
1: <laughs> well, you said he was fired up, didn't you, last week? You said he was fired up, and he, he <laughs> I definitely did, yeah. was.
0: So Alex, how how much harder is it to approach the Lecce game in the same way that AC Milan approached the Juventus game? Because obviously you know you have a weaker opponent in front of you. So how can you collect the same amount of mental energies to replicate the great defensive performance?
2: That's a great question. (laughs) I mean, when, when you're a man down, you know, you feel like there's this sort of, mental toughness and there's this you know we're not supposed to do it we're not supposed to do this so you got this new energy about the team and when you're up against Juve it's even more heightened you're up against the best players in the world the platform is just you know even even more heightened against Lecce you know it's tough I don't I don't know if they're going to come out with with the same with the same sort of intensity with the same sort of motivation on an individual basis look I think the defenders will because you know that's that's kind of a trait of defenders in general is like you actually need to come out with that intensity or else you will get exposed. You have to get 10 out of 10 of your plays, right? Or else that one is going to be a goal. You no know, strikers, wingers, attacking midfielders, you know, if, if they can take some reps off, you know, I don't think it's as, as magnified, but um, you know, I, I think they will come out and they will, they will have a good performance because they will be encouraged of, of, uh, of the performance they had against Juventus, the morale is good. I don't see why they wouldn't come out with the same uh, motivation. But it, for me, it might be a player by player case instead of a collective team case.
0: Fair. Um, what's uh, will they seem to consider goal at later? Alex, no. All sure. right.
3: Disagree. Think- Disagree. I think this is <laughs> I think this is a the the most boring game of the weekend but I also think there could be an upset. Here.
0: So most boring game of the weekend so you're going to almost make me not watch it Steve like No no
3: yeah. I would watch it for the I would watch it for the upset but let's let's sit the deepest of all the Serie A teams in the league mm-hmm. uh obviously being in that relegation battle. So their their passes per defensive action is the, is the highest uh they sit the, they sit the deepest but they've also scored 34 goals which compare, compares pretty favorably with the teams above them so yeah don't don't expect uh, there to be um there too many too many goal, goal threats at either end but if Milan p- sit and and defend like they did on friday night and and be compact then yeah this could be settled by a set piece and and don't be surprised
2: if Lecce nick something for this game for sure I hope we're both wrong and we're in for like a thriller. <laughs> eight seven An absolute eight thriller. Seven. <laughs> like well, 334455 five thriller. Yeah.
1: Well, Lecce's yeah. last game was 7-2, wasn't it? Atalanta being 7-2. Yeah, <laughs> seven, two.
0: yeah a couple of crazy. teams have uh have suffered from uh uh five or six goals uh, by Atalanta this season. Oh, it's happened like 3-4
1: yeah. times seven goals, isn't it? It's
0: ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Complete outlier in that regard. Um, another interesting matchup for the title race will be uh, Juventus playing at uh, Bologna. So Bologna will play a 4-2-3-1, which is a trademark of Mijailovic. A couple of players to highlight will be uh, right winger Orsolini, who used to be uh, a Juventus player before they released him and was signed by Bologna. And left winger uh, Barrow slash um, Sansone, depends on uh, who will play. Uh, Orsolini and Sansone, they both rank fifth in the league for dribbles per 90. So they both um, dribble 7.61 times per 90 minutes. And so I think it will be key for a Bologna upset to isolate them uh, with Juventus' fullbacks, respectively, Alexandro and uh, Cuadrado. Uh, Bologna has also scored, um, has also recorded some good defensive stats. They rank first for defensive duels per 90 with uh, 69.70, and they rank first in the pressing intensity, which is measured with the passive per defensive action uh, measurement. Uh, they are missing Bani, their center back, who uh, ranks um, on top of all of these defensive stats. But uh, if they keep their composure defensively, and if they get to isolate those uh, those wingers, I think they uh, there is a possibility for, uh, for an upset. Juventus, in turn... Uh, we will see again Chesney in goal, and Kirlini may uh, may uh, go back in the in the defensive line for uh, for Juventus. I know I see you, Alex, uh, uh, nodding, approving, approving. How much how important is that to have
2: that legend in the back to just direct everyone? <laughs> Look, he he's so he's so good. You know, he doesn't stand out individually but he he does all the right things and i think the synergy between him and bonucci is incredible you know together they are just italian defense is the best for in the best in the world for a reason historically and i hate to say that as as i'm a half french um Mm -hmm. supporter but um you guys are experts at at the defensive game part of me wishes i would have trained there when i was a little younger and, and learned a little more from, from the Italian game there, but Chiellini is just... He's exceptional, exceptional left foot, exceptional leader, um, and I'm excited if, he, if he's back in.
0: Yeah, uh, as a reminder, Chiellini, uh came back, uh, I would say, late February after an ACL injury, so I think that as football fans we're all excited to see, to see him back. Juventus uh, probably will try to possess the ball since they have uh, the second highest uh, ball possession in the league and second highest passes to the final third, but they will have, in my opinion, to show more initiative than uh, than they did in the Coppa Italia game against the Milan. Because relying on episodes is just not enough for Juventus. They have to dominate the game. What uh, what do you guys think?
3: Yeah, agreed. The the more they can um, find the baller uh, in that in those little pockets and and get him on the ball and dominate that those areas gets Ronaldo close to the goal because he has to do less in, in that moment. So, yeah, the, the more they can do that in hours to move up the pitch together and, and uh, they can dominate large chunks of the game. Uh, if they don't do that, then then it's uh, a little bit passive from from their perspective.
0: Yeah, and I also wonder if Sari plays the same formation with the same three guys on top, Costa, DiBala, and Ronaldo. I wonder how fresh they will be. Uh, that's why I wouldn't be surprised if Higuain will end up starting that game. Uh, I'm a, personally a fan of Higuain, of the movements he makes in the box. Um, so having maybe Dybala be Do you think he
3: plays Ramsey as well?
0: Ramsey too, yeah. He he is not expected to play uh, this, this Wednesday, at least from the, the possible formation that I looked at. But I think that... Some rotation in the midfield will be good for uh, for Juventus because you know it's like we said multiple times. It's the first; these are the first games back. And um, sorry, going back to the Bal, I think we're gonna see if Iguain plays. We're gonna see him more in that uh, trequartista role, just behind uh, Iguain and uh, Ronaldo. Which I love when they combine in the tight spaces. I think they're just deadly. Uh, well, guys, uh, that's it for today for uh, this week's Serie A show. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you, Steve, Tom, and Alex for your comments and punctual tactical analysis. I hope that you guys enjoyed the return of uh, Saria this weekend and we will be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Total Football Analysis Saria podcast. Arrivederci!